This morning, we're continuing our sermon series on the kingdom of heaven. We started last week by reading a passage from Luke. This week, I'm going to read just a a few verses from the gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Throughout that chapter, Jesus tells several parables about the kingdom of heaven, but I'm just going to read a couple of them. I would encourage you to go back and, and read the entire chapter where Jesus gives us little glimpses of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Again, I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 13, just a few verses. This is found on page 794 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church, and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you, and we thank you for your love. Amen. So I'm going to pick up at verse 31. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Each week on Thursday mornings, our staff has a staff devotional time. This has been actually a real treasured time for me and for our staff together. I really look forward to it every week unless I'm the one that has to do the devotion. And then that hour before the devotional time, I am scrambling throughout my office trying to find a devotional book that I can offer some little words of wisdom for our staff each week. This past week was my time once again, and I went into that panic mode. I searched through my bookcase, and I found this old devotional book that I used when I was in college. And when I opened its pages, I found a little treasure inside. It is a report card from one of my freshman seminar classes at William & Mary. I kept it because I am quite proud of this report card. In fact, I'll share it with you. I had four papers in this class. My first paper, I made an A-. My second paper, I made an A-. My third paper, I made an A. My fourth paper, I made an A+. And then for class participation, I made a C+. Apparently, I did not participate in class as much as my professor wanted me to. In fact, here in his commentary, he says, I found your papers consistently excellent. The only disappointment was your attentive but passive participation in class. That is from my professor, Mr. Finn. Now, I was the type of student who, you know, believed in that old saying that it is better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. 
I liked listening and reading and then putting a coherent argument down on paper so that everybody would maybe think that I'm wiser than I am. But after reading the passage from this chapter in Matthew this morning, I have a little more sympathy for Mr. Finn, my professor, because I wish when Jesus was teaching in these parables that the disciples would have a little more class participation. I wish they would ask a few more questions. I wish they would try to get Jesus to get to the bottom of these parables because these parables are quite confusing to me. Now, to be fair, if you read the entire chapter, chapter 13, Jesus does explain a couple of the parables, the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds and the wheat, but some of these smaller parables, he, he doesn't uh, explain at all. And in fact, the disciples don't ask him questions at all. They get to the end of the chapter and he says, have you understood all this? And he says, yes, sir. We disciples understand everything, but I don't understand them. I wish the disciples would ask for a little more clarity, a, a clear definition of what these, this kingdom of God is supposed to be. For example, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a little tiny mustard seed that's planted in the ground, but when it grows, it's supposed to grow into this great big beautiful tree. No, it doesn't. Have you ever seen a mustard plant in, in the ancient Near East? It's a, it's a shrub that grows all across the ground. It's almost like a huge weed that takes over things. And it's got little yellow flowers in it, but it, it might could have some animals in it, but it's not a tree at all. I remember asking my New Testament professor, Charlie Cowser, about this at seminary. And he said, you know, it's kind of like, he was a southerner like me. He said, you know, the mustard plant is kind of like kudzu. It takes over everything. It grows over trees. It grows over hillsides. It takes over. The kingdom of heaven is like kudzu? I don't think so. Or the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. That little parable about how the woman mixes yeast in with the bread dough. I, I've had some experience at that as well. I was working at an internship at a church in downtown Atlanta, and I was decided we were going to make bread one day in our Sunday school class. I was going to cut some corners. I wasn't going to mix the yeast in. And so I bought some frozen dough that I brought, and was, we were going to use that dough in our Sunday school class. But because it was frozen, I left it out overnight to thaw. Those of you who baked know what happened. It not only thawed out, but it spilled out all over the countertop. It grew out beyond its pan. It became sticky and gooey and messy all over the countertop. I had to spend my time cleaning it up. The kingdom of heaven is like a bacteria, like yeast that spills out and makes a mess. That doesn't make any sense. Or in those passages that I didn't read, there's another passage where the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that they bury down into the ground. That doesn't make sense. Jesus tells us not to bury our light, but hide it. Or not hide our light, but shine it for all the world to see. Or that other parable about the kingdom of heaven is like a little pearl and this person sells everything they have for a little tiny pearl. Doesn't that seem wasteful to us? These parables about the kingdom of heaven, these stories, they, they don't clearly define the kingdom for us. If anything, they make it more confusing. How wonderful it would be if these disciples would just ask a few questions, say, enough with the stories, give us a clear definition, give us a, a clear understanding, a step-by-step -step process for how the kingdom of God is going to come, how we can be a part of that kingdom of God. Imagine, just imagine if... 
Jesus made it clear for us. Imagine if Jesus gave us this clear, concise definition of what the kingdom is supposed to be. It would be like giving us keys to that kingdom that we could do all the things that God wanted us to do. We could easily, happily please God however God needed us to. We would have so much power. We could make this faith of ours work for us. Let me give you a little elementary example from my vacation I took a few weeks ago. I was sitting out on the beach with my little nephew Grady and we were making drip castles. How many of you kids have made drip castles before? You take really wet sand and you drip it on the ground and it slowly builds up to these beautiful little towers that look like a castle. Well, in order to make these drip castles, we needed sand and we needed water. And so Grady and I spent most of our time digging a trench in the ground to try to get the water to come right where we wanted it to. And then when the water came in, we started building a big sand dune to protect the castle that we were trying to build. We spent all of our time trying to control the water and control the sand, melting it, molding it together to try to make it do what we wanted to do. Just think, if we had the power over the water, if we had the power over the sand, we could build quite a big castle. Just think, if Jesus would just cut out all the stories and just give us a clear, clear understanding of what the kingdom is. Think of all we could do. We could make laws that would define what the kingdom is and force everybody to do exactly what God wants them to do. We could, instead of guessing, we could create programs here at the church where everybody would would come and we would fill up these pews every single week. We would create prayers, beautiful prayers, prayers that always captured the ear of God and we could get everything we wanted if we just knew exactly what those keys to those kingdom were. It'd be like sticking those keys in our pocket, carrying it where we needed, pulling those keys out whenever we needed something. It would be like putting magic beans in our pocket, maybe putting a little mustard seed in our pocket. We could do with it what we will. Well, maybe we're getting the picture that that's a far too small of an understanding of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is much bigger than any cohesive equation or any small definition. It's far bigger than something we can keep in our pocket. It spreads out all over everything. And maybe that's why Jesus tells us about the kingdom in stories. Because you see, stories are powerful. Stories have this way of drawing you in, making you a part of the story. Stories have this powerful way of helping you picture yourself out on that beach building a sandcastle, helping you picture yourself in the garden planting those seeds, helping you picture yourself in that kitchen kneading that dough. Stories have a way of drawing you in so that you are a part of the story. And maybe that's what Jesus is trying to do. Maybe that's the method in Jesus' madness is He's not trying to give us something that we can melt and mold and fill and use. He's trying to give us something that will melt and mold and fill and use us. He's not trying to give us something that we can call upon anytime we need it. He's trying to give us something that will call us to a new way of life. He's not trying to give us something that we can define. He's trying to give us something that will define us.
that will define our life, that will define who we are and how we live and how we treat other people. The kingdom of God is not something that we possess. It's something that possesses us, that holds us, that calls us to a new way of life. And even though it's bigger than our mind's eye, it's something that drives us and gives us purpose and meaning and hope. Frederick Binkner, the pastor, when he was preaching on this, he said it like this, if we had eyes to see and ears to hear, we would realize that the kingdom of heaven is what we hunger for above all other things, even when we don't know its name or realize that we are starving for it. The kingdom of heaven is where our best dreams come from and our truest prayers. We glimpse it in those moments when we find ourselves being better than we are and wiser than we know. The kingdom of heaven defines us even when we can't put a finger on it. Even when we can't make it easy and simple. Jesus tells us a story to draw us in so that this kingdom of God will be what we are all about. And you can't do that with a definition. You do that with a story. When I want to share people, share the kingdom of God with other people, I don't give them a clear definition. I tell them about those people in the world who are clearly living according to that kingdom. Because if, I, if they weren't clearly living towards that kingdom, there would be no other explanation for why they live their lives the way they do. I think about our missionaries, the Turks, Dan and Elizabeth Turk. They live in Madagascar. Dan went to Davidson College. He was, grew up in Atlanta and went to Davidson College. He got a master's degree out at the University of Hawaii, got a doctorate at NC State. He is a brilliant man and a brilliant mind who knows all about soil conservation. He could be a professor at any university in the United States. His wife, Elizabeth, was a, a nurse. She got a degree from a psychology degree from Duke University, and then she went and got a, a degree, a master's degree in public health from UNC Chapel Hill. She worked as a pediatric nurse for a while in Orlando. She is a brilliant person. They could live anywhere, and they could live comfortably. But one day, for some reason, they both decided to move halfway around the world. And now, Dan teaches pastors how to, how to uh, grow fruit and vegetables sustainably for the people there in Madagascar. And Elizabeth works with HIV uh, prevention and awareness. And I'm sure there was a point where people asked them, why in the world are you doing this? You could be right here with your friends and your family. You could live very comfortably and be well-known and well-respected. And the only answer is the kingdom. They're building the kingdom of God. Or I have a friend from my last church. I, I'm always constantly amazed by her. She was a woman who got married, and not long after she got married, her husband was abusive to her. She finally got the courage to get a divorce, and not long after that divorce, this ex-husband of hers had a stroke. He lost the ability to take care of himself, and so some, for some reason, she forgave him. She invited him to move into her basement so that she could take care of him because he didn't have anyone else in the world. And I know there were people who said, why would you do this? He's getting what he deserved. He treated you terribly. How can you forgive him? And the only answer can be the kingdom. 
are those people in Scripture. That person who got smacked across the face and turned the other cheek. Or that person was asked to walk that one mile and decided to walk two miles instead. Or that person who was asked for their outer cloak and gave them their inner shirt as well. Or that person who suffered and died on a cross all to show God's love to us. There's no clear definition. It just has to be the kingdom. That's what happens when we are drawn into the story. We become a part of that story. That story becomes a part of us. And we are called to go out into the world even though it doesn't fit our mind's eye. We are called to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And sometimes that doesn't make sense to people around us. But that's exactly who God calls us to be. And believe it or not, if we did that, if we did that, someday someone might tell stories about us. The kingdom of heaven, yeah, I know what that's about. The kingdom of heaven is like that church. That church that when I I lost my house, they invited me in and they paid my deposit and paid my first month's rent and helped me get back on my feet. Yeah, the kingdom of heaven, it's like that church. That church that when my spouse was suffering and dying, they sat right by my side and cried tears with me and did not let me suffer alone. That kingdom of heaven, yes, it's like that church out there. That church that when all the other places in the world rejected me and all those other churches rejected me, that church said, no, you can come here. The kingdom of heaven, it's it's like that church. That church that was spending their time and their energy and their money brick by brick by brick building something bigger than themselves. The kingdom of heaven, it's like that little mustard seed that turns into kudzu. It's like that, that uh, dough that spills out all over the place. It's like that church, that church full of messy, messy people. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But you know what it is? It makes an awfully good story. To the glory of God. Amen.